Welcome to the 125 Years and Counting podcast. We're here to discuss all things finance, helping to keep you up to date with everything accounting, financial planning, and achieving financial success. Well, hello and welcome to our 2022-2023 federal budget uh, recap. Um, and, and what does that mean for you uh, is, is a subject that we're, we're presenting today. Uh, my name is Peter Shun. I'm one of the partners at Canars here in Rockhampton. I've also got along today Jake and Tom, uh, two of our financial planners as well. Um, this podcast or this uh, recording is also being um, yeah, podcasted out to 125 Years in County podcast. So welcome to all those listeners as well. And um, it's also on a YouTube channel for anybody listening in the future, as well as anybody who's um, yeah, watching this pre-recorded as well. So um, essentially what we wanted to run through today was a bit of an overcap of the budget, what that means for you. Um, wasn't anything too exciting in there last night. Even though that that might not be the case from an accountant's point of view, there's a couple of little things in minutia that um, everybody sort of needs to know and, and needs to be aware of from there. So Jake, Tom, myself, we'll, we'll go through what, what our recap of the budget was for this year and what that means for businesses, for individuals, for retirees, et cetera, et cetera, from there. So obviously it's myself, Jake and Tom. A um, couple of the young boys from the Canars Financial Services team, which is subbing in for Brent today. Um, so Jake's a financial planner and Tom's just passed his, is it eighth subject, Tom, I believe, is that correct? Or um, So you're a provisional financial planning. Um, yeah, I passed the um, advisor exam. So now I've got my P plates on for the next six months, basically. Yeah. For the next six months. So Tom's going to run a few things through with us as well, which will be fantastic also. Yeah, as I said, please uh, keep any questions for the Q&A session at the end. We'll go from there. But the big thing was there was a couple of key personal income tax changes in the budget, which will help out ordinary Australians, low and middle income earners um, from there. The big one is essentially what is known around circles as the Leamington or what us accountants know as the low and middle income tax offset. So the low and middle income tax offset was essentially pegged at $1,080 for the last couple of years. There was some strong rumours that that would be not available anymore. But the government, obviously chasing a few votes and wanting to win an election, their jobs back, has one-upped it and gone to $1,500 for the lower middle income tax offset for this year only. So the Lamington essentially stays for the 2022 year, um, but after that, um, the lower middle income tax offset won't be available at the moment as it stands. So it's $1,500 for individuals. And essentially what happens from there is that is um, treated as a refundable tax offset on your income tax return. So if you pay tax, for example, of $4,000 for the year, um, the lower middle income tax offset of $1,500 will come off that and you'll receive a $1,500 refund plus or minus with the deductions or income you have from there. If you received a lower middle income tax offset in the past, um, you'll get the full benefit of $420 increase. So it's not a sliding scale upwards or sliding scale downwards or anything from there. So it's the original Leamington, 
or the LMITO, plus for this year only, they'll add $420 on what you received in the past couple of years. Good news is that anybody um, from essentially no income tax to $37,000 receives an increase of $420 from what was $255, but it still caps at $126,000 um, per family from there. So if you receive above that, there's no low middle income tax offset. The other thing which um, was a bit of a sneaky through the budget is they've slowly increased the Medicare levy low income threshold um, for singles, families, pensioners uh, from there. So there are only slight increases, but it's more of a cost of living increase whereby if you're, you're a single person, your current income is 23,365, you won't have to pay a Medicare levy. Whereas before that, it was from 23,226. So it, it's slightly increased, but not by a great deal, but it's more of a cost of living increase for the Medicare levy threshold. So Medicare levy is 1.5% of your taxable income. One of the big pressures that the government was under at, at a certain point in time was to make sure that COVID-19 tests were tax deductible. Uh, a lot of people had to have COVID-19 tests and pay for them themselves, like rat tests, um, to ensure that they're able to work. So from the 1st of July, which is essentially the next income tax return, you're able to uh, claim the costs of your COVID-19 test expenses. Obviously, making sure that you keep receipts from whether you go to chemist, warehouse, Coles or Woolworths. Um, if an employer was to pay for the rat tests, then there's no FBT on that and it's fully deductible to the employer as well. So... They've just made essentially the COVID-19 test expenses blanket deductible if you're required to have that to go to work. So if you feel a bit sick or um, essentially if they want need you to have a COVID test on day one, day three, in the mines, et cetera, from there. A couple of changes affecting that. That's pretty much it for individual taxpayers. There wasn't a hell of a lot of a difference. Sometimes in budgets we see a, a big paper about how we're going to save tax, tax rate thresholds changing, et cetera, et cetera. There wasn't a big deal of changes as far as individual taxpayers are concerned for the 2022-2023 income tax year. A couple of little things in the budget for businesses. One of the big ones that I saw was the skills and training boost. So essentially what it is is the skills and training boost is there to support small and medium-sized business in upskilling their employees. And needs to be eligible expenditure um, for businesses to deduct an additional 20% on top of what they already paid. So essentially, instead of receiving a deduction for what you paid for a training expenditure, you add an extra 20% on top and get a deduction for that. So if you're a company, for example, 25% tax rate coming up, you'd receive 25 cents in the dollar back from every dollar you spent on training. This has essentially gone up to 30 cents a dollar with it going to $120 from there. So they are increasing the tax savings that you receive for giving your employees a skills and trainings boost. Big thing is they must be in Australia or online and delivered by RTOs or registered Australian training providers. Once again, essentially it's saying, well, okay, if you want to spend money on tax deductions throughout the year, as we know, people rush to do tax deductions at the end of June, they're happy to do that, but you need to spend it on specific areas and they're really targeting skills and training boosts from there. And 
There's another one in essentially software, which we're going to go through now as well. So the technology investment boost is there to support digital adoption by small businesses. So much similar to the training boost, you can deduct an additional 20% on expenditure and depreciating assets that you spend um, in your business with a cap of $100,000. Seems like a bit of an accountant's worst nightmare because we're going to go and pick out every time someone spends uh, money on a tablet or a mobile phone or cybersecurity or cloud-based. But for the consumer, it's ensuring that they're encouraged to spend as much money as they can on technology and upskilling their business. The other thing that's been pretty popular um, in the last sort of 18 months is each individual government has had their individual COVID support grants. Bit of a bit of pressure on the federal government and the Australian Taxation Office to sort of come out and say, okay, these grants are either non-assessable or accessible or tax exempt or non-tax exempt. So the government in the budget today has said all grants will be non-assessable and non-exempt. So essentially leave them out of your tax return altogether, which has been really quite handy to say, if you get a $10,000 grant from the government, non-taxable, any deductions that you spend on it, you can get a tax deduction for. So it does help out a little bit with the COVID grants that you do receive uh, from there. But essentially what it's saying is that there's no accessibility on the government grants that you receive. Boys, I think I've got an early mark today. Um, I usually like talking about capital gains and all sorts of business structures like trusts and companies, but this federal budget has really done a couple of things. One is obviously the increase in low, low and middle income tax offset. And what you guys are going to talk about, which is a bit of cash for everybody and making sure that people um, with their superannuation are okay from there. So yep. I'll pass it on to Jake. All right. Uh, so essentially, there's been some new legislation uh, regarding the extending of the reduction in minimum pension drawdowns. Uh, so this will affect, I suppose, most of our clients who are in pension phase. Um, essentially, the government extends the 50% reduction of superannuation minimum drawdowns uh, for another year. So essentially, I uh, simply put, like I suppose it's been the same in previous years, um, the reduced minimum uh, increases your choice when it comes to how much you may wish to draw down on your pension accounts. Um, so, for example, if you're between 60 and 64, instead of having to draw down 4% per annum, uh, you can instead choose to only take 2% of your balance. And I suppose if you're unsure about whether you should do this or not, um, please contact your advisor and we'd be happy to talk you through it uh, and I suppose the impact on your individual situation. Uh, so it's pretty simple. Like, again, this is as it has been in previous years, so um, there's not, re not really much more to mention here. Uh, so this is the cost of living payments, which is uh, essentially good news for a lot of people. Uh, essentially, the government is offering a once-off payment of $250 uh, to help those eligible to deal with the rising costs of prices and inflation. Uh, this will be paid to anyone in receipt of the payments or concession cards on this slide here. So I suppose a lot of our clients over 67 years old are likely to benefit, uh, assuming that you're either receiving the age pension or hold a Commonwealth Seniors Health Card. Uh, so this payment of $250 we made in late April 2022, which is approximately a month away. It'll be paid to the same bank account that Centrelink have on record, so you shouldn't really need to do anything at all to receive this payment. You'll just see it uh, show up in your bank accounts. Yeah, and that is all for this slide as well. Thanks, Pete.
The last, I suppose, has been a temporary reduction in uh, fuel costs. Uh, so anyone who drives a car would have noticed fuel prices have increased dramatically uh, due to what's happening in Russia and Ukraine at the moment. Uh, to help fuel prices, our government have essentially halved the customs duty rate, which essentially is a tax on, on fuel imports. Uh, and the end result of this will be a reduction in fuel costs uh, nationwide by approximately 22 cents per litre. Uh, so this applies to both unleaded and diesel, diesel fuel. Uh, and this legislation essentially just remains in place for the next six months. Um, so the next six months, essentially, everyone Australia wide will receive discounts on their, on their fuel. Um, however, I suppose it's important to note that fuel prices can still increase and decrease depending on supply and demand plus the price of oil. Um, all the government has done here is essentially reduce their own taxes in the short term to give Australians a bit of a break in, I suppose, the increased costs. And that should be all for me. Thanks, Pete. No worries, Jake. Thank you very much. And um, Tommy now is going to go through um, some superannuation changes and also a bit of a reminder about some superannuation uh, items that are coming up um, soon as well. Yep. So these ones probably aren't as relevant to the this year's budget, but just some previously announced um, legislation that take effect from um, next financial year. The first one is just, well, the increase to the superannuation guarantee that obviously went up to 10% this financial year and it's due to increase again up to the 10.5% from 1 July. Um, I believe it's still due to continue increasing to 12% by 1 July 2025. So if you're someone that receives SG contributions like me, you're probably pretty happy about that. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, probably... That about covers that. Can we jump on to the next slide? Yeah, Tom, it's, it's one that sort of gets overlooked um, by employers because it's not really out in the media as much, is it really, that effectively every year from now until 2025, it's going to jump 0.5%, isn't it? So yeah. it's a cost, obviously, you as an employee, so it's, it's great to do it from an employer point of view. Um, it's something which we all need to factor in when we're looking at budgets and things like that, that it is going to keep jumping up from there. And there hasn't been anything to say anything different. So, which I think is a great thing. Like they're stuck to their word and they're going to yeah, keep legislating these increases going forward. So, um, yeah, make sure if you're a business owner to, to factor this in when, with your budgets or with, when you're employing people, every little bit counts. We talk about the one percenters and things like that. So 0.5% this year, 0.5% next year. They add up when you're looking at cost of employment. So it is quite important to remember that, that's for sure. Cool. Um, so the next one's just uh, probably a bit of a bigger one. There might be some more advice for some of our clients off the back of this, but they're looking, well, it's, it's going to come into effect from 1 July, the repealing of the work test. So currently, if you want to make any non concessional contributions past the age of 67, um, you've got to meet that work test, which is essentially 40 hours in any 30-day period across the financial year. Um, going forward, they're basically getting rid of that. So you'll be able to make non-concessional contributions up to that $110,000 cap um, up until age 75. And then on top of that, they're also increasing the um, age limit for the bring forward rules. That's where you can bring forward up to three years of your non-concessional contributions up to $330,000 in a year. Um, they're basically increasing the age limit on that up to 75 as well. So 
for anyone that's retired, I suppose, and not working, there's potential strategies that can be looked at there as well. So remind me, with concessional contributions, is that 75,000 without a work test? Is, I'm sorry, 75 years of age without a work test as well, or when does that kick in from there? So once you're past 75, you can't make any more non-concessional contributions. That's correct, yeah. So that's for, for anything, isn't it? And they're sort of standardising that across the board, aren't they? Because previously it was different ages, different things. So just sort of all going, okay, age 75 and over, this is it. And, and making it easy to, to understand, yeah. I guess, isn't it really? Yeah. Um, last one's just a basically decreasing the age limit for the downsizer contribution. So if you're looking to sell your primary residence, um, you can basically add in an extra $300,000 outside of your other superannuation caps. Basically, they're just dropping that from 65 down to 60 to make it a bit more accessible, I guess, going forward. Yeah. And I think that's purely to help the housing market out, isn't it, mate? Really? Yeah. Housing market's a bit tight at the moment. And I think they want to encourage more uh, el- wouldn't call elderly, but people who want to put money in their super to, to sell their houses and to downsize as much as they can, which will free up housing stock for younger people because, as you know, house prices have gone a bit crazy, not just in Rocky, but Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. So... Yep. Yeah, I think that's purely based at, hey, let's just free up some housing stock by encouraging people who don't want to have a big house and want to sort of downsize, put in a super and get some tax effectiveness with their with their money from there. So, yep. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, cool. One thing I wanted to mention, which had didn't have anything to do with the budget yet again, was the instant asset write-off for our business uh, clients. Essentially, the instant asset write-off um, allows businesses to claim an immediate deduction for assets, costs relating to appreciable assets. Um, so businesses up to $5 billion, which is all of our businesses here at Canals and most around the central Queensland region can do it. Region can do it. Um, and essentially, it's an immediate tax deduction for the cost of a depreciable asset. So previously, you'd have to deduct a tractor, which is in the picture, or a truck or something like that, that either 10 12% or put in a general pool at 15 and 30%. As part of the COVID legislation, they sort of made that to be immediately deductible. So you get a tax deduction the minute you purchase an asset off the shelf effectively. That was due to run out in the 2022 financial year at June, but the government since legislated that to go to June 2023. So the immediate tax deduction for uh, depreciable assets has been extended out for another year, which has been great news uh, for most of our clients who are wanting to expand but also get some tax effectiveness out of expanding from there as well. So that's been pretty good. Any closing comments, boys, on the budget? Thoughts? Anything that you thought was spectacular? Anything you thought, well, a bit dull? Obviously, there's a lot of infrastructure spend that we haven't covered here because obviously we're tax and superannuation accountants, but what are your thoughts as a whole, Jake? Generally, I haven't made a lot of changes. Um but yeah, look, it's obviously all a couple of small things that help a help a, help a few people. So um, something's better than nothing. Look at it that way. I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there, mate. It's a couple of small changes which affect the majority of the population, as in increasing the lower middle income tax offset. I think everybody on the pension or on assembly benefits going to get extra two hundred fifty dollars as well, which obviously isn't covered through through our budget recap with being a tax and a superannuation specialist. 
there's a whole lot of infrastructure spend, isn't there, really? I read uh, today that the um, Queensland Rail is going to be expanded from Maroochydore out to Nambour. So I don't know if you've been on the Sunshine Coast, but you can't easily get a train to Brisbane, but they're planning on doing that, which is pretty handy. Uh, I think that they're going to spend a lot of money um, and they're not really wanting to tax people too much. So they're sort of making some savings in some areas, notably in obviously unemployment benefits because unemployment is going to be 3.5% in the next couple of years. So whatever savings they've had by having a good economy, they're going to redirect that and just spend, spend, spend to try and uh, make people happy. And, and well, in their case, they probably want to try and win an election, don't they, really? So but the less they do from a taxation point of view, the better. Mm. Um, question for you, boys. I don't know too much about this one. How long do you have to have owned your home to be able to sell it and use the money as a downsizer and add money to your superannuation when you've already retired? Well, I believe that it's um, 10 years and, and it only has to be partially exempt. So you, I'd, don't quote me on this, but I believe, yeah, if you've owned it as, a, as your primary residence for a chunk of the time and it's been an investment property for part of it as well, you can, you're still potentially eligible for it. Yeah, that's my understanding too, uh, Diane, is that you have to have owned the property for 10 years, Tom. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so even if you lived in it as a principal place of residence for a couple of years and had a rental property or had a business deduction hanging off the side of it, you have to have owned it for 10 years. Now, there's no requirement as to when you retired or when you didn't. It's essentially just um, a 10-year 10 10 year rule limit on owning the property uh, from there. Brent, I know you're... Um, we're missing you here at work. Have you got any comments on the budget? Any feedback if you're if you're listening at all? Or no, not not overly. As you said, it was a pretty um muted budget. They're trying to probably win a few votes um and trying to balance out the. As you're saying, they've got a lot of infrastructure spend, but they don't probably want to spend a whole heap of money so as to not push up inflation. But that's probably the other other issue they're going to be battling and, and wages growth. So, well, that's exactly right. I think um one one thing you mentioned there was interest rate growth. Like coalition governments forever since I've been on, yeah, obviously following politics or following business when I was 15, they always bragged about having low interest rates. So I, I think the federal government of the day does not want a high interest rates to their brand because that just goes against their ethos, isn't it, really? They always say Labor's high interest rates, Liberals are at low interest rates. So they're, they're being very cautious of that to a point, aren't they, really? Yeah, and just obviously the the inflation potentially coming through with on the back of these higher oil prices that's going to be temporary, but um, it is having you know you're just noticing it across a lot of the cost of goods like building costs or those sorts of things while they're still temporary, it's pushing up inflation. So that's yeah, potential like you know, pushing up interest rates as well. So they're just trying to I think they're trying to balance that out with trying to win a few votes. I read something a couple of years ago that fuel and groceries account for is it forty or fifty percent of the total factor when they look at the consumer price index. Is that correct, mate? You never want to hear about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. They can manipulate those indexes as well to, to tell them what they wanted, the story they want to tell. Yeah, but obviously these increased fuel prices is helping with this with the CPI, that's for sure, and prices in general. And obviously there's floods down south, which is affecting um, yeah, supply chains. And then people out on COVID is also hurting product getting into certain areas which is then pushing up the price as well. So 
they're, they're really battling a few factors against them, aren't they, really? Obviously, they don't want to be a political commentator, but this budget's been very bare bones to be able to accommodate for all that, isn't it, really? Yeah, not, not many not many significant changes, hey? No, not like we used to see, which, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, election year, you don't want to ruffle too many feathers either. So. Yeah, feels like they're targeting a few key areas for some votes there. Anybody who earns under one hundred twenty-six thousand dollars a year, bang, here's an extra four hundred bucks. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, uh, yeah, it, it's easy policy for them too. Like I don't, as I said, I don't want to get politically too much, but they haven't really done any tax reform in this. It's just been a couple of strokes of the pen, and and off we go next year. So, I don't know. They've just tinkered around the edges of a few things, and it, it's worked. So. Yeah, keep it I think they've probably learned from Labor's failings last time, whereby they lost the election trying to change franking credits and capital gains issues. Yeah, well, Labor wanted to change the world, didn't they, really? So, yeah, yeah, probably don't want to be doing that in an election year either. So, we might wrap this up, boys, if you don't mind. Is that okay? Or Yeah, too easy. Yeah. Good. Right, thanks for joining us on the, on the webinar and podcast today. Thanks, Brent, for chiming in as well really appreciate your your feedback um also uh, a couple of newbies sort of helps us out as well get something fresh from there so i'll just stop my screen share while i'm this is all commentary from the budget last night it's still to be legislated but um that's our take essentially on on, on where things are sitting at the moment it sounds like a, a couple of pieces of legislation have gone through today in parliament already and um, I saw something in the news before which uh, Labor said they weren't really going to block any of it anyway. So you'll probably take most of it as gospel, but obviously it has to be uh, legislated before it comes into effect from there. So thank you for listening, um, whether you're live uh, on the YouTube or on the um, podcast, and um, look forward to talking to you again soon.